flying around. Little green peas from the ground. Buttermilk biscuits, nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Butter beans, peas, beets, and chard. Chickens running in the yard. Catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop him black gang candy stripes. Look at him loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food and agriculture, often with that mountain south Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. And today we are setting the table with news about a cookbook from Bales Farms, written by Allison Bales. She's been a visitor on the show several times before, and Allison, her husband, Barry Bales, and their son Marshall own and operate Bales Farms in Mossheim, Tennessee. This is a sixth-generation family farm. Today, Allison is going to share information with us about lard from pasture-raised animals, the differences between lard, how to render lard, some of the nutritional benefits in lard from pasture-raised animals, and cooking applications. Dolly Parton wrote the foreword for the Bales cookbook that Allison wrote, and I want to share that with you. And Allison shares a recipe from this cookbook for her white cheddar pimento cheese. And also, Allison and Barry Baleson Marshall runs the egg program, and he's going to let us know about that. Also, we'll hear from Molly Rochelson and Sally Bice, who are the Montvales. We'll hear Sally talk about her biscuits. And at one point, she was the biscuit queen for Cruz Farm Dairy. And we'll hear a song from them later on in the show. Thank you for tuning in today by podcast or radio. I really appreciate your good company today. Now, Allison Bales is not a medical doctor. She is a licensed physical therapist, smart as a whip, and she's all the time continuing her professional education on nutrition and farming, and she farms day in, day out, cooks great food for her family, and as you listen, take that all into account that we are not medical physicians, y'all. All right, now, let's talk about lard. Basically, what y'all do up here? We are Bell's Farms, and we are a sixth generation. Our son is the sixth generation on the farm. We've been here in some capacity since 1882, And my husband, Barry, and I now run the farm, and we raise grass-fed and grass-finished beef, pastured pork, pastured chicken, and then Marshall does eggs. 
My goodness. You run the roads too, don't you? Because you deliver to... We do deliver to Knoxville, Johnson City, Kingsport, and Greenville. Well, I was looking at your website and I saw leaf lard unrendered. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. I figure we talk about lard today. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) For decades here, lard has gotten such a bad name and me being in my mid-50s, I knew my grandparents grew up eating lard and I know we grew up as people that kind of uh, looked down on lard. But our grandparents ate it, mm-hmm. and they were very healthy, and they mm-hmm. lived on the farm. Because I, I think that there's a lot of good to it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good to it. If you can find a farmer who raises, specifically when we're talking about lard, we're talking about pigs. If you're talking about tallow, that is the fat from beef. But So lard from pigs If you can find a farmer who raises pigs on pasture, that leaf lard is going to be phenomenal. Any of the lard, but specifically leaf lard is what is so prized by professional chefs and bakers and knowledgeable cooks. That is the lard that covers the kidneys and the stomach area and it's shaped like a leaf that's why it's called leaf lard and it is a little different than the rest of the lard in the body but it is the creme de la creme is what it's thought of so it's great for baking um for it has a really high smoking point meaning that it's you can cook it at high temperatures so it's good for all kinds of cooking for sauteing roasting frying anything that you want to do but if you want to render it yes you can render it and use it many 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 ways I've wondered about that. So tell us what rendering is and then what process you go through to do it. Sure. Okay. So rendering is taking the lard from the frozen product that you would get from a farmer to more like, I hate to say this, but like Crisco when you buy that. That is what rendering is. And the way you render it is you would take For instance, we sell lard by the pound, and so you will get a big cube of it. So then you cut it into small pieces, smaller pieces. When you take it out of the freezer, it's much easier to work with in a frozen or semi-frozen state. When lard is healthy from a healthy animal at room temperature, it's going to have the consistency of softened butter. It's going to be snow white and it's going to have a very spreadable consistency. Your grandparents, if they were like my grandparents, may have even eaten it just like that on toast. That was very popular and turns out really healthy for us (laughs) because lard is very high from, again, from a pasture-raised animal, very high in vitamin D, which you're hearing vitamin D everywhere right now um, for our immune systems, but vitamin D is also really important in the absorption of calcium, in bone health, immune health. It's also really high in vitamin A, vitamin E. It's high in choline. Choline is so important for our systems because choline helps with cardiac health, liver health, um, GI health, but also 
if you are not getting enough choline in your in your diet, you are at a higher risk for Alzheimer's and other types of dementia related diseases. So choline is very important and lard is a really good way to get choline in. So our grandparents who were eating this on a daily and weekly basis were very healthy. And you know, when you think about it, it's chemical free. It has no, it's not undergone any processes except for what I'm about to tell you about, which is a very natural process to take lard through to render it down. It's very healthy. It it has nothing that's not natural in it. So I'm a big proponent of lard. Mm-hmm. To render lard, what you do is you just take it, like I was saying, take it from the frozen or semi-frozen state, chop it up or dice it up into smaller pieces because that's going to help it cook faster. And you're going to put it in a cooking vessel on the lowest heat you have. I use a crock pot. You don't have to use a crock pot. You can use, I know a lot of people use um, cast iron skillets or other types of cookware on a stove. I do mine in a crock pot on the lowest setting that I can because you do not want it to brown at all. Mm -hmm. You want it to stay that snow white. It will take all day to cook down. Oh, okay. And so if you have it in a crock pot, you're not taking up part of your other means to cook for your family. So put it on a crock pot, put it on the lowest setting, and just stir it every hour to two hours. It's very, very easy. You're going to get a liquid product with some solids in it. That's what our grandmother's called, cracklins. And so then you can scoop those cracklins out and save them for another use. But however you want to take those out at the end of the day when you've got a nice liquid and the cracklins have have separated a bit, they'll float on top. You don't want them to be brown. Again, you want everything to stay clear or white. You do not want it brown. If it's brown, that means you've cooked it at too high of a temperature and you're not going to be able to use it. So make sure it's on a very low temperature. Take the cracklins out. Pour your now rendered lard into mason jars. I keep one mason jar in the refrigerator. I put everything else in the freezer and it will last you for months. We always get lard from from our pigs. And again, the other lard from pasture-raised animals is good as well. Leaf lard is what people who are very knowledgeable about cooking, that's what they're going to ask for. But if you get lard from a pasture-raised animal, you're going to be able to use everything. I use all of the lard. It has a bad reputation as being, people will say it tastes piggy, but if you get lard from a healthy pig, it has no taste. Interesting. It is going to be snow white and has no taste. And that's how you know that you're going to have a good product. If you are cooking, if you're rendering your lard and it has a really bad smell to it, it's Mm -hmm. not from a healthy animal. Just like if you go to a restaurant and you order salmon and it's super smelly, it's not very fresh. So you want to get your lard from a trusted source for sure. I am so glad to know that. What do you use your leaf lard, your rendered leaf lard in your household to cook with? Like, Give us a couple examples what you do on a regular basis. I use my leaf lard anywhere I would use butter. So if I am doing 
a cookie or if I'm doing a cake or a pie, I would use leaf lard one to rendered leaf lard one to one ratio with butter. Leaf lard's also good if you want to, like if I am doing a spatchcock chicken, I will use leaf lard as opposed to butter. And that just, when I spatchcock a chicken, that is where you cut the backbone out and you open it like a book. And so it's a very flat chicken. I think some people call it chicken under a brick. I think that's what Alice Waters refers to it as. And she very famously brought that to everybody's restaurant back in the 80s. You can do that at home very easily. And it cooks quickly. It cooks evenly. But the key to that is to saute that chicken just a little bit before you put it in the oven. And sauteing it in in leaf lard is much better than using butter or Crisco or something like that. So if you have leaf lard available that you have rendered, do that. Now, I do not fry french fries in leaf lard because Mm -hmm. it would just use too much of the lard. Yeah, that's right. But how often do we french fries not very often i don't want to clean up all that messy grease i know you know michael poland said i heard him one time say in an interview you can eat all the junk food that you want but you have to make it yourself (laughs) and so it does cut down on what you oh it does what you eat so you reference cracklins is the little solids that get um kind of skimmed out of the leaf lard when you're rendering it Mm -hmm. what do you do with your cracklins I generally, honestly, I don't do too much with them. But now my grandmother did used to put them in batter and fry them. She would dredge them in in flour and fry them. Mm-hmm. And if anyone has ever been to Long John Silver's or Captain D's, you know exactly what it tasted like. Because all those, those are not, that's not real cracklings. But you get that get that same little crunchy heavenly Mm -hmm. bite from whatever that is that comes in the baskets I don't know what that is I know it's so good (laughs) you are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table we're visiting today with Allison Bales of Bales Farms located in Mossheim Tennessee She has written a cookbook called Bales Farm Cookbook and she's just told us about lard Allison's husband, Barry Bales, has won a bunch of Grammy Awards, has played bass on some of Dolly Parton's best records, and he also has played bass for over 30 years for Allison Krauss and Union Station. Dolly Parton has written the foreword for their new cookbook, and I'd like to share that with you right now. Two things I consider myself an expert in is knowing good people and good food. In Bales Farms' cookbook, Both things get a big gold star from me. Allison is one of the most beautiful women inside and out that I've ever met, and what a cook. Barry is a great musician, as Allison is a cook, and he is equally as great a human being. Barry has played bass on some of my best records. He dresses like a farmer. He looks like a farmer. He acts like a farmer down to the big wad of burly tobacco in his jaw. He even has his own personal spit can in the studio. I'm not surprised that Barry and Allison have their own farm, growing their own food and sharing it with all of us. I personally am going to cook every recipe in the cookbook. 
Not only do I know it will be great, it will also make me feel close to two people that I love, respect, and admire. I will think of them while I'm cooking and eating it and sharing it with others that I love. I wish you much luck with this cookbook. I'm sure that I'm going to enjoy it, and I think the rest of the world will too. Love, Dolly. And today's guest is Allison Bales of Bales Farm, Mossheim, Tennessee. We just heard that foreword for their cookbook, written by Dolly Parton. Allison has a recipe in this book for white cheddar pimento cheese, and she's going to share that with us right now. Hosting is a blessing. I love having people over, and I have gotten to where I can throw some things together pretty quickly. I can throw a board together in a pretty short amount of time, but it does take some prep time. But say you're having people over, you want your guests to be able to munch on something as soon as they arrive, to have something to eat, maybe a little drink, while you're busy in the kitchen. So I am going to tell you the way I make my pimento cheese. If I'm known for anything, it's probably my pimento cheese. So I will tell you how I make it. And all you do is you get two bricks of white cheddar cheese. White cheddar cheese. It takes one four ounce jar of diced pimentos, half a cup of mayonnaise, and I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but mine is not a spread. Mine is cheese. It is a little different from some of the spreads that you buy in the grocery store. And then a couple of dashes of your preferred hot sauce and salt to taste. So you just mix up your salt, your pimentos with the juice, mayonnaise, and the hot sauce. And then grate your white pimento cheese and just put that in, mix it up, and put it in the fridge until you need to pull it out. Anytime you need to throw something together, you can make that in less than five minutes. If you want it spicy, I make a spicy pimento cheese a lot for Barry. That's his preferred way. And I just roast a jalapeno in the oven for about 20 or 30 minutes. And then I dice that up and put it in the pimento cheese. And that Mm. is a hit too. Boy, I bet. Oh my goodness. That sounds so good. It is a universal hit. (laughs) I will say that. Well, and it's beautiful, too. Well, thank you. It doesn't have that fake orange color. No, it has nothing. It has no fillers in it. It's all straight-up ingredients. Do you have a preference on your mayonnaise? My husband has a preference on mayonnaise, and it is JFG out of Knoxville, and he will fight pretty hard about that. That is his favorite mayonnaise. I have a friend who has moved here from Louisiana and she likes blue plate mayonnaise. And I will say if I can't find JFG, I will use blue plate. That's our backup. But JFG is what we use 100% of the time. You're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. Thank you for your good company today. Today's guest is Allison Bales of Bales Farm in Mossheim, Tennessee. 
She just shared that recipe for white cheddar pimento cheese from her new cookbook, Bale's Farm Cookbook. I've put a link to their website and more information about their farm, the pasture-raised meats and eggs that they produce, and a link where this cookbook can be found at TennesseeFarmTable.com. And of course, more information on them directly at BalesFarmsTN.com. And again, they do not advertise on this show. Next up is Marshall Bales, teenage farmer who runs the egg program at Bales Farms. Marshall, I'd just love to ask you about your egg program today. Thanks for spending some time. Well, thanks for uh, inviting me. Absolutely. So this is Marshall Bales, and we're up here in Mossheim, Bales Farms. Tell me, would you, last time I was up here, you were 10 years old, and I know that you spoke a lot about your egg program and it's really taken off. I mean it was big then and now I mean it you're you're a serious farmer about um, taking care of your chickens and producing high quality eggs and now you're 14 at the time of this recording. How many years have you been doing this egg program? Well we got chickens when I was about five and then um, I think I started taking care of them by myself when I was seven or nine, I think. Wow. How'd you get into wanting to do this on the farm? There's a lot of different stuff you could do on a farm. Tell me how you turned to chickens. Well, I guess when I was five, I just thought they were cute. Do you still think they're cute? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Most of them. I do too. About how many laying hens have you got? Uh, I would say right now about 250. My goodness. So how many pounds of food do they eat a day? Um, usually every day I bring them about uh, one to two bags of food, and each bag of food is about 50 pounds. So. Oh, my goodness. So tell me how you raise them. Grass, are they in cages? Are they out in the field? How do you raise them? Well, right now how we have it is we have these things called uh, eggmobiles, which um, basically... It's just a big structure with roosting poles in it, uh-huh. uh, and then it has egg boxes on the sides where they just go in and lay eggs, and then it's surrounded by an electric fence where just keep them inside and keep the predators out. What kind of predators do you have up here? Um, well, some of them are like hawks and coyotes, and uh, but you know every once in a while the guard dog gets a little hungry. <laughs> Do you have one of those big white puffy dogs? Yeah, uh, Great Pyrenees. A Great Pyrenees. What's its name? Uh, his name is Dutch. So sometimes he just um, gets in a mood, I guess. Yeah, uh, he stress eats. Oh. <laughs> what kind of chickens do you raise? Do you have one kind or a bunch of different kinds? Well, I think right now we have three different kinds. We've got um, the newest batch is Buff Orpingtons. And then the oldest ones are uh, cinnamon queens, and then we have one Easter egg. What does that mean? Is it blue colored or? Yeah, it lays uh, either blue or green eggs. How cute. People love those, don't they? Hmm. I mean, I would just look at a hen as a hen. I don't really know what kind make good laying hens. I guess you've done a lot of research and trial and error. Yeah. I would say probably my favorite laying hens are just the Buff Orpingtons, just because they're really nice. Mm-hmm. I bet they have that big old kind of puffy belly. Yeah, one time at the fair, uh, the chicken show, somebody called my chicken fat. Well, one of the judges did. Ooh, 
Ooh. Did you have to explain? Well, yeah. I mean, since they're out on pasture, you can't control what they eat, so. I'd say a, a puffy hen's a happy hen, wouldn't you? Yeah. You mentioned the fair. Tell me what fair you entered. Uh, well, we go to the local Greene County Fair, and um, I just entered a bunch of stuff. But one of the things was the chicken show. I also did just the 4-H category, which is just anything, really. Okay. What kind of categories did you win ribbons in? Well, um, of course, the chicken show, but also I did uh, Legos, drawings. I put eggs in and some cookies in. What kind of cookies, i got to ask? Um, sugar and chocolate chip. If you've got 250 laying hens, how many times a day do you have to go check on them? Um, usually only about once, um, but sometimes when it's really hot, I'll go down there about uh, lunchtime and water them. Okay. Yeah. As you mature and all that stuff, are you always going to be in the egg business, or is this just something you do while you're here at the house? I think it's just going to be something to pass the time. Because uh-huh. you're sixth-generation farmer of this Bales family farms. How about other kind of farming? Do you want to also farm? Uh, I'm not too sure, but um, one thing that I am thinking of doing is um, later in a year or something like that is moving to pigs or something. Mm-hmm. Well, Marshall Bales, sixth-generation young farmer, and thank you for encouraging other younger children to participate in 4-H. And I just appreciate your time talking with us today about your ag program. Well, uh, thanks for talking to me. Out here, hang out with chickens. I don't get much of that. And I had mentioned earlier in the intro that we would hear from the Montvales, a duo originally from Knoxville, Tennessee, Molly Rochelson on guitar, and Sally Bice on the claw hammer banjo, and they have the most beautiful harmonies. They're currently on tour. Information about those dates ongoing at themontvales.com. Let's hear them now, along with Sally talking about her biscuits and then one of their songs. Now, how many years have y'all been making music? Um, like 15 or something. Since yeah. we were, I don't know. I can't do math that fast. Around 15. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We right. say a slightly different number every time. She has the math brain to make the biscuits and remember the years. <laughs> well, I just think that the Montvilles make great music, and I'm just so proud to be able to play a song or two on the show today. Molly... You play guitar, and Sally is on banjo, and you both have these beautiful harmonies, and so do you just sing around the house all the time together? You know, we do. Yeah, we often have songs stuck in our heads. Um, Yeah, (laughs) that's that. We used to live together when we lived here in Knoxville, so especially then. Yeah. And we would often, we still do this very spooky thing sometimes where we both just like start singing without consulting the other one at the same time and it's like the same part of <laughs> the song. We did that with a Michael Hurley song earlier today on the way here. Sympatico, I suppose. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> we try. <laughs> well, and you've just recorded an album with a full band. I'm really excited about that. I've snagged them here and, and um, Sally's going to tell us how she makes her biscuits. Yeah, so honestly, I had to pull up my recipe. I always forget my biscuit recipe and have to have friends send it back to me. But I have it here. So I preheat the oven to 350 degrees and I do um, a tablespoon of butter per biscuit. So you can do that to scale. 
The butter all kind of falls out the bottom and makes the bottom of the biscuits very crunchy. Highly recommend. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just try not to work them too much. Um, if you're here in town, Cruise Farm buttermilk is by far the best. And if you can ever find Cruise Farm butter, that makes it even better. <laughs> Did you at one point work for Cruise Farm dairy? It's true. I was the biscuit queen for a short time. <laughs> Did you make a few biscuits for them? Oh, a few hundred. <laughs> Thousand? <laughs> really? Sure did. So those had to be good if you're making them from them because people expect a big old perfect biscuit. Oh yeah, those were the best biscuits. That Cruise Farm buttermilk makes them great. Are you picky about your flour? You know, White Lily is my favorite, but I'm not that picky. I'll make biscuits with whatever. <laughs> Now, some people talk about freezing that butter and grating it on a grater and all. Do you mess with that? No, I just get it cold beforehand and that's all. Well, so every time I make biscuits, they're little flat things, even when I don't work them. So maybe you just got a little bit of magic when you make your biscuits. <laughs> I was told that you have to make them cuddle in order to make them rise. So that's, that's some of it. Who knows? Maybe it's also magic. <laughs> it's good to have a biscuit maker in the house. Yeah, yeah, it works out. Well, Sally, thanks for sharing your biscuit making with us. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So people can find you at themontvales.com. Molly, Sally, thank you so much. Thank you.
you are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table and you have just heard from the Montvales from their first album, Heartbreak Summer Camp. We heard O oh, Louise. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.